The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. It's good to be together as we now open God's Word. And this morning, we conclude our Mission Refresh series, the third week of three. Last week, Andy helped us to see the supremacy of God in all things. And this morning, we look at the final words in our mission statement, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. So would you join me as we pray and ask the Lord for help? Father, we come now asking that you would show us the glories of Christ. Fill our hearts with joy this morning that would overflow to all the peoples around this world. And so do what we can't do. Do what only you can do by the power of your spirit through your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently had a spiritual conversation with an employee that works at my local gas company. They were coming out and giving me a quote on a new HVAC system. And during the course of conversation, I learned all about this employee. I got to learn about her background and upbringing and education and spouse and children. And then she asked me what I do. And so I shared that I'm a pastor and that usually shuts down the conversation. So at that point, I usually ask, well, are you religious or spiritual? Which is what I asked her. And she said she attends a Jewish synagogue. And so then I said, well, are you Jewish? And she said, no. And I said, oh, tell me more. And, and, and I found out her husband's not Jewish. She's not Jewish. She, doesn't, uh, she wouldn't claim to be Jewish, but she attends this Jewish synagogue. And as we continued to chat and, and continued to learn about her and where she was spiritually, she said this statement that really struck me. And it went something like this. Well, we all end up in the same place anyways, as long as we're good people. We all end up in the same place anyways, as long as we're good people. She was articulating the most commonly held beliefs of our age. All religions lead to the same place, and God only wants us to be good people people. Perhaps you've heard this. Perhaps you might even believe this. Perhaps you know of people who think this or have had conversations with others, had other spiritual conversations where they have said similar things. I actually think there's a a third thing that's even more commonly held than those two, that all, all religions lead to the same place and that God just wants us to be better people. And I think it's this. I call it the privatization of Christianity. It basically says that your faith is okay. It's fine for you as long as you keep it private. Don't bring it into the public sphere. Don't bring it into the boardroom or the university lecture halls or the hospital room or the school classrooms or the city council meetings or sports leagues or entertainment venues or mass media. It's fine that you follow Jesus as long as that's just between you and him. Don't let it bleed out into how you live the rest of your life and how you conduct yourself at work and how you make decisions about what you do and don't do. Our world today says that evangelism is arrogant and judgmental. Here are some of the things that you might have heard or that you know of people who think this. 
Who are you to tell me what's right and what's wrong? How are you so arrogant to tell all these people that they're going to hell when in fact they're really nice people and they keep nice garden beds in their backyard and they mow their lawn and pick up their leaves? Who are you to send your Western white missionaries into places with black and brown people who have such beautiful cultures? Who are you to tell others that their love or their ideas of love are somehow distorted and wrong? Why are you Christians so intolerant, so arrogant, so certain about your faith, and so narrow-minded? Perhaps you've heard something like this before. And do you see the problem that this raises for us this morning? If that's what the world thinks in general about Christianity and about specifically Christians sharing their faith in evangelism and missions, then we come to our mission statement and there's this collision of values and beliefs. Our mission statement does not believe that all religions lead to the same place. Our mission statement does not believe that God just wants us to be better people The Bible does not say keep your faith private. Our mission statement directly contradicts the commonly held values and beliefs of our day. The world says do whatever you want. And the Bible says lasting happiness is found in Jesus. The world says just do you. And the Bible says follow Jesus with all your heart and mind, and soul, and strength, because he's the only way, the truth, and the life. So we see this collision of beliefs and values this morning. And what I want to do is I want to argue this morning that our mission statement that we have looked at these last two weeks and this third week now is not arrogant, but in fact, it's love. Our mission to maximize the joy of Jesus into the lives of others is not arrogance. And we should somehow put it aside and stop doing it because the world says, look at that. But instead, it's actually love. It's it's the way in which we love the world and those around us. And my aim this morning is to call us away from the lies that are so embedded within our culture and so with embedded even in our neighborhoods and perhaps even in our own minds and hearts. And so my plan this morning is to ask three questions that are implicitly stated as arguments in our mission statement. So the the first question is this, does seeing the supremacy of God fill the heart with joy? Does seeing the supremacy of God fill the heart with joy? Last week, Andy showed us the supremacy of God in all things. And our mission statement implies that when we spread this vision of the supremacy of God in all things, it actually brings people joy. So we have to ask ask the question, is that true this morning? The second question that we're asking is, should we care about the eternal destiny of all peoples? Our mission statement implies that we ought to care about all peoples and where they're going. And when our world says, keep it to yourself, keep it private, don't tell me about it, don't talk about it, just keep that between you and God. So is it true? Should we care about the eternal destiny of all people? And the third question we're going to answer this morning is, is Jesus Christ the means of experiencing this eternal and lasting joy? 
because we've put our entire mission statement through Jesus Christ. And so we're saying not all religions lead to the same place. We're saying it's only in and by and through the person and the work of Jesus. So is that true? So we're going to walk through each of these questions this morning, and we're going to look at a number of scriptures to guide us. So the first question, does seeing the supremacy of God fill the heart with joy? Or you could rephrase it more simply, does believing in Jesus truly bring joy? Does believing in Jesus bring us joy? Does seeing this truth fill our hearts with joy? And where would you go in the scriptures to begin to see this truth? Well, I would begin with Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist here, David, is saying at God's right hand, in God's presence, is unspeakable joy more than anything else. Or Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What he's saying there is I would rather be one day in God's presence in his courts than spend a thousand in tents of wickedness. It's better to be with God. That in God's presence, there's joy. The the Bible's full of language of joy being elicited, created when we see the glory of God. And and I want to show us in three additional places in the New Testament. The first comes in Luke 2, 10 and 11. This is the angel. He's just come to the shepherds. After Jesus was already born, and he says this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. That's right. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So God reveals his glory in the incarnation to bring about great joy. Now, if you have a Bible, you could turn with me to Matthew 28, 8 and 9. Here we come to the resurrection. So we get Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and John, and they're just been told by an angel that Jesus isn't here. And then Matthew 28, verse 8 says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Again, we see that God reveals his glory, not just the, in the incarnation, but now in the resurrection that brings about great joy in his disciples. And then in Luke 24, 50 to 53, you can turn there, Luke 24. Here we go from the incarnation to the resurrection, now to the ascension. Jesus' glory is displayed as he departs. Luke 24, verse 50 says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Time and time again, God is revealing his supremacy in all things, in particular in the incarnation, in the resurrection, and in the ascension. And what does that fill the hearts of his disciples with? Joy. So when we come to this question, 
Does seeing the supremacy of God fill the heart with joy? The answer is yes. It does. It's not arrogant to spread this truth if what we have in view for others is their ultimate and lasting joy in Christ. Now, the second question. Should we care deeply about the eternal destiny of all peoples? Or we could rephrase it, should we care that people perish without Christ? Should we care that people perish without Christ? Our mission statement says we're to give our lives to spreading this message, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God. And the world instead says, keep your faith to yourself. And, and so how do we answer this question? Do, should we care about the eternal destiny of the people without Christ? And, and to answer that question, we have to ask another question, which is, does God care about the eternal destiny of those without Christ? Because if God cares about it, then we ought to care about it because we're God's people who are to think his thoughts after him. And so does God care about the eternal destiny of all people? So if you turn with me to John's gospel, we're going to look at four passages in John's gospel. The first one is John 1, verse 29. And we're trying to see, does God care about the eternal destiny of the world? John 1, 29 says, the next day, He saw Jesus, John the Baptist, coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came into the world in order to be the Lamb of God, foreshadowed throughout the entire Old Testament, that he would be the one that would take away the sins of the world. And then if you turn over to John 3.16, Many of us know this. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God has sent Jesus so that whoever would believe in him would not perish. That was his entire purpose to be sent into this world. Or John 6.33, this is Jesus speaking. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying about himself, I have come in order to be bread that might be eaten and give life to the world. Or John 12.46, John chapter 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So Jesus has come in as the living bread, as the light of the world, so that all those who would believe in him might have life. So Jesus does, in fact, care. God does, in fact, care about the eternal destiny of mankind. In our mission statement, we don't say for the joy of all mankind or for the joy of every human, but we say for the joy of all peoples. And the reason for that is it's pointing to the unfinished task of world evangelization. Not everyone will be saved, but only those who believe in Jesus. But there will be some from every single 
people group, nation, language, tribe on the face of this earth gathered in that final day. And we see that in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. The Bible speaks about the inclusion of all peoples of the earth. So Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every language, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So the emphasis there is on all the peoples of the earth that gathered around on that final day will be some from every single people group. And that's why we've put in our mission statement for the joy of all peoples, because there are still unreached and unengaged people groups who have no believers among them, no Bible translated into their language, no knowledge of Jesus, no church in their community. And we're saying we want to make sure that every single people group will be represented on that day. The Bible says that will happen. And so we're to send people out in order to bring that about. Or Psalm 67, the the passage that we read this morning. Psalm 67, 4 and 5. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is a request for God to bless his people so that they would be able to go out and bring in all the nations, all the peoples of the earth that would ultimately find their joy and gladness and rejoicing in God. His glory is most fully seen when every nation and people and tribe on earth are gathered around his throne. So we come back to the question, should we care about the eternal destiny of all peoples? And the answer is yes, because God cares so much that he sent his only son to come into the world, to live a perfect life, to die, to rise again from the dead so that he might bring about forgiveness of sins and hope to all the world. Many of us are familiar with this illustration, but you you know the uh, magician duo Penn and Teller? Teller's quiet and Penn's kind of a big guy. And and Penn Gillette, he's a well-known atheist, and yet he, he has a video where, from several years ago, where he says, I I really respect Christians who at least share their faith. And he said, you know, some guy came up to him after a show and very winsomely shared the gospel with him. And and he said, he didn't convince me, but I really respect people who at least share their faith. Because if that's what you believe, if you really believe that I'm going to hell, I'm going to be damned forever, then you would really have to hate someone a lot to not be willing to share this good news with them. If you really believed a Mack truck was coming down, is going to hit you, then you would grab them and pull them aside so that they wouldn't get hit by this truck. We come now to question three. Is Jesus Christ the means of experiencing this eternal and lasting joy? Or another way we could put it, is Jesus really the only way? Because our world says that there's lots of different ways to get to the same place. 
You've heard the illustration. We're all blind men gathered around an elephant, right? Someone's holding the leg and says, this elephant is like a tree. It's firm and immovable. And someone's touching the tusk and says it's like a spear and someone touches the trunk and says it's like a snake and someone touches the tail and says it's like a rope and someone touches the side and says it's like a wall and and the moral of the story is that we we can all learn something from all the various religions in the world We're, we're all blind men just groping around and we can all glean something and yet this fails to take into account one crucial element The elephant has spoken and told us he's an elephant, right? God has spoken over the course of 1,500 years through dozens of writers collected into 66 unified books with thousands of manuscripts and fragments and scrolls with complete cohesiveness where prophecies made hundreds and even thousands of years prior are fulfilled God has told us who he is so that we wouldn't miss it. Jesus Christ is the means by which our mission is accomplished. This highlights that there's only one way, and it's through the person and work of Jesus. I'm going to walk through six different passages. 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Or Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Or John eleven twenty five. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Acts 4, 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of those passages point to the exclusivity of Jesus. There is no other way to make it. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, how devote you may be, how righteous you may live. The only way is through Jesus. And so, when we share the good news of the gospel, when we tell others, and when we engage them, when we ask questions, when we say, tell me about what you believe, and then we take the opportunity to share the good news with them, we're not being arrogant. We're not being closed-minded. We are calling people out of darkness, into God's marvelous light so that they would see the beauty of Jesus and not perish. We are loving others by telling them that they're headed towards destruction and eternal torment. And so, in a world where everyone 
says, you Christians, as long as you keep it to yourself, just keep it between you and God, keep it within your church walls, everyone ends up in the same place anyways, and and I'm a pretty good person already. I just want us to see from the scriptures that those are lies. There is no lasting hope apart from Jesus. And so when we think about our mission statement, that we exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ, that is the very embodiment of what it means to love people. Our mission doesn't talk about love, but it's implicit throughout the entire thing. When it means walking across the street to our neighbors, to going to the very ends of the earth, even if they might kill us, we want to share the good news of Jesus because that's the only thing that will save them. And without Christ, all will perish. Having Jesus is eternal and lasting joy. And it's worth noting, Jesus isn't just the means by which we get a lasting joy. He's the source. Knowing Christ is to have life. Knowing Jesus is to have joy. He is our everlasting treasure. So how do we begin to embrace and embody and live out our collective mission statement? I have five really simple applications for us this morning. First, is delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Implicit in our mission statement is that we spread only what we have truly tasted. No one says, hey, come eat at this restaurant that I've never eaten at before. You just don't do that. But you say, come and have the best tacos that you can find in North America, just north of the Tijuana border at this place called El Gordo's Tacos. And there's just this amazing pork and they dip the tortilla in all the fat and then fry it up. And, you know, I, I can go on about this, but they have the best tacos in all the world. And, and, and I would encourage you to, to go there. And, and then you can have a, a Mexican Coke, right? They don't use the high fructose corn syrup, but they use sugar. Um, anyways, <laughs> you guys clearly haven't had these tacos. <laughs> it's like the instructions they give you on an airplane. They, they say, before you help someone else, put on your own mask if we lose cabin pressure. And the reason they say that is because if you don't get enough oxygen, you'll eventually get hypoxia that makes you weak and dizzy, and then you'll be disoriented, and eventually you could die. And the same is true here. We don't send people halfway around the world who have never tasted or seen the goodness of God. People who are not delighting in Jesus at every moment. We don't tell you to go evangelize and share something that doesn't transform your heart from the inside out. And so this is a call for us to delight ourselves in the Lord once again. And let me just encourage us. The way we do that is just through the regular means of gathering together as the body of Christ in small groups and Sunday school classes and with other believers and on Sunday mornings where we're just encouraged and built up by God's word and strengthened and convicted. Delight yourself in God. Number two, 
Let's begin with discipling those around us, whether that's our family or children or grandchildren. Part of our mission to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things is to begin to do it those in closest proximity to us. We're to disciple and love and proclaim the goodness of God to those around us, in our families, to our spouses, to our parents, to our children and grandchildren. God has uniquely placed each and every single one of us in a specific family, in a specific neighborhood, even in a specific workplace, so that we would be the vessels by which others hear the good news of Jesus. Let it not be said of us that the cobbler's children have no shoes. Many of us don't even know what cobblers are anymore. They fix shoes. And, and, and so if the cobbler's children have no shoes, he's, not, he's giving all of his best to other people, but not his own family. And for us this morning, it's great that you serve in Sunday school. It's great that you're teaching uh, a class. And I would just say, let's not neglect those closest to us. Let's care for, disciple, minister to our families and those nearest to us. That is part of our spreading a passion for the supremacy of God. Number three, engage those around you. One of the expressions that we've used over the years is proximity equals responsibility. We've often, I think, used it in terms of neighborhood outreach. You know, if, if, if those communities are closest to us and those needs are most apparent and nearby, then we ought to do something about them. Like the good Samaritan that helped the man that was along his path. So God has placed us in a particular neighborhood at a specific workplace or school with specific friends and classmates and family. And we all have some responsibility to engage them with the aim of sharing the good news of Jesus. Number four, pray and support our missionaries. One of the things that we have made one of the mainstays of our church is that we have this global partner prayer calendar. You can pick one up. You probably have one at home. And its purpose is so that we would pray for the global partners, those missionaries that we've sent out that are ministering around the world. Because when we send them out, we're not just saying, good luck, here's a monthly contribution. But we're saying, we're with you in this. We're going to pray for you. We're going to beg God to work through you through the joys and the sorrows of ministering. And as you learn the language and as you share the gospel and as you build relationships, we're praying that God would move and open eyes and save. And on that final day, those people that get saved halfway around the world, we had a part in it. It's part of our fruit. And number five, prayerfully consider being a goer. Our mission is explicit in that we want to send some of us to go through all the training and preparation to go to very ends of the earth. In the next two weeks for Global Focus, we're going to talk about that further. We may even ask people to stand up and, and say, I, I'm interested in what God is doing around the world and believe that he perhaps is calling me to go. For some of you, it means a second career. It means you're on the cusp of retirement and you're saying, I think God is calling us to, to put all that aside and, and to go overseas. And for some of us, it's, you know, just getting started. 
first job. I, I think the Lord's calling us to spend our lives overseas, but consider being a goer. All the training and preparation so that the Bible gets translated and churches are planted and disciples are made so that the very end would come. There is coming a day when our mission statement will become obsolete. We won't need it anymore. We will not need to spread a passion for anything because we will just be enjoying and delighting in the supremacy of God. We will continue to see more and more of his glory. We will be gathered around the throne with all those who have come to faith. Do you ever think about this? That when you're in heaven, that Lord willing, there'll be someone who comes up and says, you don't know this. You never knew this, but you prayed for me because you prayed for this person that was sharing the gospel with me. And and so I'm here because of those prayers. Or I'm here because you shared the gospel with me. And even though at the time I didn't accept it, 10 years later it came to mind and I accepted. And and then I sought out a church and I sought out believers. Or or you discipled me. Or, Or you taught me in Sunday school that gathered around the throne on that final day, there's going to be people say, you brought chocolate chip cookies to our house and that turned our hearts from hating Christians to hating them just a little less so that when someone else came and shared the gospel later, that made a difference. That your giving to this church has sent out 110 families and singles over the course of many decades. And it's not just been 110. You know, every year, 10, 15 come off the field and 10, 15 more go out onto the field. So it's probably, I don't know, 200, 250 units in the last 30 years that have been sent out. And and their fruit, all the people that come to faith will be gathered with them on that final day. And they say, it's because of your church. It's because of your giving that so-and-so was able to come halfway around the world and share the gospel, and then I got to hear, and then I came to faith in Jesus, and then my, my entire tribe, my entire village, my whole family came to saving faith in Jesus. Gathered around that final day, it will be glorious. It will be an amazing scene, and yet we're not there yet. And so while we still have time, let us labor and pray eagerly for the Lord's return. My aim this morning in looking at our mission statement is that we would embrace it once again and say, not only is it my church's mission statement, it's my mission statement. It's how I want to give my life in accomplishing God's work among the nations and in my neighborhood and in my family. It's that it would characterize us once again. As I said the very first week, I do not want this mission statement to be the inscription upon the tombstone of this church, but the battle cry of a thousand people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and will say, I'll give my life to making this known. And if it means working so that I might send others or going to the very ends of the earth, collecting my pennies or or, or selling all of my things and selling my house and moving halfway around the world and everything in between that this would once again characterize our heartbeat, that we would be so overcome with the beauty of Jesus. 
that we would be so odd once again that God in his kindness, while we were yet sinners, saved us when we had nothing to give, when we brought nothing to the table. He saved us out of his mercy. And now there are people who are perishing because they've never heard. And so may we be the ones who go and share this good news. And my prayer is that there would be many who come to saving faith through our collective labors for God's glory and for our multiplying joy. Let's pray. Father, do what we can't do. Enliven our hearts so that what would overflow out of us would be a deep passion for the supremacy of God in all things that would overflow for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.